Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. Good morning. Are you glad to be here? I'm Donnie. I am one of the elders here, and I'm going to be reading our scripture for this morning. And you may hear a lot of names that you never heard before, or that you think, man, that is a weird name, or that's hard to pronounce. And so I want you not to do what I do sometimes when I come across genealogies, is that sometimes it's easy just to buzz right by it and skip over it and try to skip to words that that make sense that you might be able to understand, right? But just remember, as I was thinking about all of these different names that you're going to hear in just a, in a moment, uh, just remember, this is our history. And it's God's plan of what He had in store for us. And all the names that you'll hear are, are some way, shape, form, or fashion a part of God's plan and for His redemption for us. So as you hear these names, think of it in that way. We're in Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 38. Now when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son, with you... I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mahat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Matthias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joash, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shertil, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serach, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, 
the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Join us as we worship one more. Here at Res, we value both worshiping in song and in spirit, so and in the word. So join with join with me as we worship in the word. You can be seated. <clears throat> My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Res, and we have the great privilege of joining with you today as we worship as we continue in Luke. It's been a little while since we've been in Luke. It's been about two weeks. I just wanted to remind us and catch us up to speed a little bit about what Luke has been talking about, because today he really emphasizes some details that I don't want us to miss. So at this point in Luke, John the Baptist has been preaching and declaring, Yahweh's coming. Get ready. Don't miss it. Yahweh's coming. And John the Baptist had been preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But see, the Jews knew that when Yahweh shows up, previously it's thunder, it's lightning, it's don't touch the mountain or you will die, like at Mount Sinai. But this time, John the Baptist said, there's one that's coming that's mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this time when he comes, he's coming with his winnowing fork to separate the wheat from the chaff. When this time when Yahweh shows up, it's going to be different. Now this point in our study through Luke, the other Gospels give us some details of the interaction, the conversation between John the Baptist and Jesus before he was baptized. Luke doesn't give us those details Rather, he solely focuses on Jesus and the response of heaven 
at the baptism of Jesus. See, at this moment, at the baptism, this was the climax for John the Baptist. God had prepared for John to go and make a way, prepare the way, declare that Yahweh is coming. At this same moment, this is the starting line for Jesus in his ministry. Yahweh is here. And let's watch as Luke zooms away from John the Baptist and zooms in on Jesus. Read with me here in Luke 3, verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Here's the first point. Jesus was praying. Jonathan, come on, really? That's all you got? I mean, really? Jesus was praying? Of course he was praying. Well, this is the first time that we see in the gospel that Jesus was praying. And we know prayer is designed by God as a posture of submission and dependence on him. Dependence on him and that we have to come to him as our source for joy and for peace and for wisdom. And it's at this point, after Jesus is baptized, we see him in this posture of prayer to his Father. And we have to assume that it's at this moment that Jesus recognizes the magnitude of this moment. This is a place where we can relate to Jesus. See, the other people that we've met at this point in Luke in the story, we, it's easy to relate to them. For example, Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's easy to relate to them in that Elizabeth is barren. They want a child. And the angel came to Zechariah and said, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says, how? There's no way. I don't understand. We can relate that oftentimes God says this is going to happen. And in our human understanding, we can't understand. And it's through prayer that we have to depend. Or we can relate to Simeon. Simeon's been holding on to a promise from God you will see the Christ before you die. And in the waiting, Simeon has to pray and trust and depend. We can relate to that. Also, we can relate to Joseph and Mary, who have a 12-year-old son, who they're trying to raise the best they can, and this 12-year-old has his own ideas of he's going to stay behind in the father's house, and for multiple days they go looking for him, and they can't find him. We can relate to Joseph and Mary that they prayed, Oh, God, help us to raise this 12-year-old kid. I have an almost 12-year-old. I'm praying for mine. <laughs> He's a good boy, but I want to raise him the right way, right? We can relate to Jesus in his humanity in this moment where he is depending on the Father. Let's don't miss this point. See, it says in Philippians 2, Six through eight. If you'll turn there with me, Philippians two, six through eight. See, it's hard to relate to Jesus because we often see him in his divine nature. We see Jesus as he's the one who fed the five thousand with the loaves, five loaves and the two fish. I don't know about you, but that's hard to relate to. Jesus walking on water. I tried. It doesn't work, right? Jesus calms the winds and the waves with a single spoken word. We look at our app and we go, oh, no, 
right? It's hard to relate to Jesus in his divine nature, but it's in his humanity that we can relate to him. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is where we see Jesus at the starting line of his ministry, submitting, depending on the Father in prayer for joy, for peace, for wisdom. And this is a picture that Luke's going to give us multiple times throughout the gospel. We're going to see that Jesus prayed at the selection of the 12 disciples, at Peter's confession, at Gethsemane, at the transfiguration. Luke's also going to point out multiple times that Jesus goes into the wilderness to pray and that other times he prays all night long. This is a point that Luke is really driving home. And let's not miss the fact that there is a correlation between Jesus's dependence in his humanity on the Father. Now, if you're like me, I began to ask myself, well, what was Jesus praying in this moment? Luke doesn't give us the answer, but if you'll kind of just go along with me for a second, I do think he gives us a little suggestion of what he might have been praying. In Luke 11, Jesus was praying. Another example. And the disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. See, we could stop right there and we could recognize that it's out of his relationship, his intimate relationship, not with a far off God. It's out of his intimate relationship with the Father that he is posturing himself in dependence and submission. And then it says, your kingdom come. I can only imagine that these were two pieces of maybe what Jesus was praying after he was baptized. And see, it's as I kept reading, reading in this Luke 11 that Jesus continues to instruct his disciples on how to depend. Turn with me to Luke 11, 9 through 10, and then we'll skip down to 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Skip down to 13. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father, don't miss this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now I do think that Jesus had the Holy Spirit in Him Already, he was born of the Spirit. But I do wonder if in this moment, in his humanity, in his dependence and posture in prayer, Jesus possibly could have been praying, Father, hallowed be your name, your name that is above every name. 
Your kingdom come. I'm here to do your will. Confirm in me the Holy Spirit that you've put in me. And it's at this moment that heaven responds. Let's pay attention to the details that Luke gives us. In verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. I can't help myself but stop and think what Jesus saw. What if he saw exactly what Isaiah described in Isaiah 6, 1 through 3? It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's Jesus in his human form, likely for the first time as a human, saw his father as the heavens were opened. And imagine with me the flood of emotions that must have filled Jesus when maybe he recognized now's the time to go and do what the Father has sent me to do. See, as the heavens opened, God Almighty, Father, was demonstrating to his Son for the benefit of his Son. Don't miss that. This is for the benefit of Jesus that all of heaven is saying, I see you. I see you. And in this moment, it's such a big moment that the curtain of heaven had been rolled back. That God was given his full attention in an intimate father-son moment. Remember, that before time began, father, son were in heaven and that this was plan A. Before Adam sinned, this was plan A. They must have said, there's going to be a moment in which you're at the starting line. It's your turn. Jesus has been on earth for 30 years at this point, And it's at this moment that he must have recognized that all the old prophecies, all of the Bible had been pointing to this moment. Yahweh is here. Now, I have two sons, but I don't have a heaven to open up and roll back on those big moments. All I have are my two hands and this really intense look. And it's with those two hands and with this intense look that in those big moments, I look into my son's eyes and I grab their face with my hands and I say, Nolan, Corbin, I love you. I'm with you. Daddy is cheering you on. You got this. You can do this. I know it's big, but I'm with you. And my oldest, he plays baseball, and there's been a few moments where he's had that at-bat at, at where it's like the game depends on this at-bat. And I can't go up and grab his face in the middle of the game, but I'll catch his eyes, and I'll be like, you got this, bud. You can do it. Cheering you on. 
let's go. You can do it. It's so important that a son hears that from his father. Jesus left the throne room of God and came and took on humanity. Let's not forget what we read in Philippians. And maybe as a human for the first time, Jesus is hearing his father say, you are my son. And it's at this moment that maybe he is saying, yes, that's, I am of heaven. I am the son of God. See, Jesus emptied himself. He was born in a manger, laid, born in a stable, laid in a manger, born of the son of a carpenter. He was nothing But it's in this moment that the Father says, I've given you all power, all authority, all dominion on heaven and on earth. And that's the second piece that we see that Luke tells us. In verse 22, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. You might say, Jonathan, didn't Jesus already have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it tells us in Luke 1. We've already read this. In Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit, or the angel came to Mary and said, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and you will have a son. And the son will be called Holy, the Son of God. But it's also in Acts 10, we see that Peter is proclaiming the good news in the house of Cornelius. And he says that the baptism of Jesus is the beginning of his ministry and that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, for he was with him. See, this picture that we get from Luke about the Holy Spirit descending, it's the anointing of God being poured out on Jesus in this moment. And this is the first moment that we see the Trinity in action, working together in unison. We see the Son submitting to the will of the Father through prayer, we see the Holy Spirit descending from the Father and empowering the Son to execute the plan of redemption. And we see the Father speaking His enduring love to His Son. And that's the third detail that Luke gives us. In verse 22, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is God speaking directly to Jesus. We can't assume that everybody on the River Jordan heard. We can't assume that they all saw the heavens opened. It's actually in the Gospel of Mark. It says, he saw, Jesus saw. In Matthew, it says, the heavens were opened to him. So we must assume that this is for the benefit of Jesus, God speaking directly to his son. And we can assume that in his heavenly form, Jesus is hearing for the first time his father say, you are my son, in you I divinely love. See, the word beloved is translated agapetas, which is an adjective or a type of love, which is different than eros or phileo love, which is more of a human love that 
we love out of an expectation that you're going to love me back. That's not the love that God was expressing to his son. Agape love is a holy and a pure love that can only come from God. And Jesus, in his divine nature, from the beginning of time, has experienced this divine love. This love that flows from a holy and pure heart. But we as humans, we can't understand that. We've never been able to fully grasp the depth, the breadth of God's love for us. And we won't until we get to heaven. But Jesus, in his divine nature, has And it's the Father that's saying, in you, is the better translation, in you I am well pleased. At this point, Jesus hasn't done anything for him to be pleased with. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't even started declaring the good news yet. He's lived a fairly normal life as far as we know up to this point. It's not the Father saying, I'm pleased in what you've done. It's the Father saying, I'm pleased in you. Expressing that it's what's in Jesus. So what is in Jesus? It's the DNA of God that's in him. The power of the Holy Spirit that came upon Mary. That's what's in him. It's the divine nature of heaven. That even though he's fully man, he is fully God. And now the power from heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit has descended on him. In this, I am well pleased, the Father is saying. The Father is confirming in Jesus, you are Yahweh. You are of me. I love you with a divine love. And the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. Now let's go. Let's share the good news. Let's accomplish what I've sent you to do. Now, this is just a little tease. Since Bradley's not here, I'm going to try not to steal his thunder. But next week in Luke, he's going to talk about how the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit, whom God has just anointed him with, is going to lead him to be tempted by Satan. And the first thing that Satan goes after If you are the Son of Man, if you are the Son of God, and that's just what Jesus has just heard his Father say, you are my Son. That's the first thing that Satan goes after. If you are the Son of God, I I could keep going, but I'm not going to. I've got to give Bradley something to talk about next week. So we see that heaven is responding to the fact that this is the Son of God. Now, we notice that Luke puts the genealogy of Jesus in a... Why did you put it there, Luke? What, why did you put all these names right after you tell us that God spoke to Jesus? But let's read in Luke three twenty three. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see how I did that, Donnie? That's how you do it. 
the son of Adam, the son of God. Why is it that Luke places the genealogy of Jesus after he tells us that Jesus has been baptized, which is different than where Matthew puts the genealogy? We must remember, remember that Luke is writing to a Gentile. He's writing to Theophilus, and it's fairly certain that Luke is also a Gentile. And this is different than the audience that Matthew is writing to. Matthew is writing to Jews. See, Matthew's main point in putting the genealogy at the beginning is that, that he wants to emphasize to the Jews that Jesus is of the bloodline of David and of the bloodline of Abraham, and that he is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. But Luke has a different emphasis. We've just heard the Father say, You are my Son. Jesus is the Son of God. But Luke wants to point out the connection that Jesus is the Son of Man. He's saying, Theophilus, don't miss this point. Jesus is the second Adam. God formed Adam and breathed life into him. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, formed Jesus in Mary. Jesus is the son of Adam, fully human. Jesus is the one who came to fulfill the prophecy in the Old Testament that he is of David and of Abraham. And Jesus is fully divine. And he has come to redeem what was broken in Adam. Turn with me to Romans 5, 14, and then we'll skip down to 18 and 19. Romans 5. Romans 5, 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. Therefore, skip down to 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And it's now that we see the Son of God, the second Adam, is standing at the starting line of his ministry with the blessing of his Father and with the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem all of mankind. Theophilus, don't miss this point. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus came to earth, took on human form, not clinging to his divine nature to redeem the relationship between God and Adam that was in the garden. And I don't want us to miss this point. If the heavens opened and if the Father recognized the magnitude of this moment, then we should pause and recognize the magnitude that we should relate to Jesus in 
his humanity. Just as he said, pray like this, Father. In our prayer, we should be relating not to a far off God, but to a God who has designed prayer as a posture of dependence and submission on his will, just as Jesus modeled for us in his dependence. And we shouldn't miss the point to see that this is the triune unity evident and practicing in this moment, and that we, filled with the Holy Spirit, we, the Son of God, children of God, have the opportunity to every day go and be filled with the Holy Spirit and to do the will that God has designed us to do. And it's in this moment that we get to see Jesus is the fulfillment of the second Adam. Jesus is Yahweh, and Yahweh has come. And this should lead us, this should lead us to worship, saying, For He alone is worthy. Come, let us adore Him. Let us adore Christ alone. Just like we sang before I started declaring the good news that Yahweh is here. It's to Him alone that He deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the power. Dear God, I thank You for this day. I thank You, Father, that You will lead us to not missing the point that You are both human, fully human, and that You are both fully divine, and You came to fulfill all the prophecies and you came to restore and redeem what was broken in Adam. And Father, I thank you that that was plan A. And Father, I thank you that you will lead us to worshiping you, honoring you, adoring you, and declaring your worth and your fame as we go and as you lead us by your Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do and that's to declare who you are in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you thankful for Jonathan and his family? Yeah. Stand with me. We're going to have a time of benediction. And I just want to do something just a little bit different. What I want to challenge you to do is think about what you just heard. Think about uh, the songs that we've had in worship the word proclaimed in worship, what is it that God has said to you this morning? Maybe it's a word. It may be a phrase. It may be a reminder of something that God is speaking to you. Maybe it's a scripture. Maybe it's a conviction of something that you've heard and you said, you know, that's something that God needs to deal with me. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you, however he has challenged you this morning, things that you uh, remember or know about him as as a benediction I would like to say as we leave today carry that with you carry it with you today carry it with you Monday Tuesday Wednesday and the rest of the week and let that be our time as we dismiss to say that God is with us God bless you go in peace we hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. 
You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.